0: Player King, Episode Four Blow Winds and Crack Your
1: Cheeks. Tom learned some vital lessons about producing and creating theater in rough conditions, heals some old wounds playing King Lear, and ends up starting a brand new theater company in Garden Grove, California. <laughs> Let me. St- Say something about the the facility itself. The facility had been built at the turn of the century, Mm -hmm. still had an an original Thomas Edison lighting system (laughs) that had uncovered copper wires. Uh, When they would turn on the lights, they would arc like a Frankenstein movie. Mm -hmm. There was a small one-row balcony with a circular staircase up to it. There was a two-lane bowling alley off to the side with a bar in the back, and there was a vacated indoor swimming pool. This was all created part of uh, an estate, and one of the children had wanted to go into New York, which was exactly 100 miles away, and become an actress. So they created this space for her on this 500-acre estate. Um It was barely functioning, but functioning. And we did everything we could to make it work. They had seating, which we pulled out uh, at times and then created a more cabaret-like effect when we did cabaret, for example. We sold season tickets. This is my first experience selling season tickets. But Sal had pulled out the front row. And... Uh, I'm going to relate. This is, I'm working front of the house one night and, uh, a a man who had bought season tickets, and I think we only sold like about 20 of them. There wasn't, there weren't many. And he had first row front row center. And it said, you know, like a one on the tickets and the guy, the guy came and he complained and we did everything we could do to assuage him. That B1 was as good as A1. It was now the first row. He couldn't understand how we could sell tickets and there not be an A1 on the row. And he he, we were under a lot of pressure at the time. And I finally lost it. And I said, what do you want from me? I'm just a human being, you asshole. That's why years later,
0: they never wanted me to work the box office. <laughs> Well, there there was There's something though, I mean, here you come from this very strong political theater, so did Sal, and then you end up producing really commercial musical theater and light comedies like Butterflies Are Free, but as an actor in it, I could tell you during rehearsals, we rehearsed it like we were doing agitprop political theater. So we were always looking for the soul of it, the what was uh, agitating about West Side Story. What was agitating about Godspell? You know, it 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 created a kind of a fire. I think in the in the actors, it was very special, um, because neither one of you were producers or directors of musical theater. So you invested what you knew into those musicals. And I, as I think back, I didn't. I can't remember removing seats, but of course you removed seats to create more connection with the audience, because that's the theatrical world you came from. Kind of a melding really, of, of the political theater and this this commercial theater enterprise because you had to pull people in who wanted to come and see West Side Story. Well, and I we got
1: reviews. And so they came down and reviewed it, the guy from Scranton, the Scranton Times would review it. And and so we we would get reviews that would spread the word. And this was our first production, so it was important. And the guy gave us a pretty good review. He gave us a pretty... He said it was worth going to see. But he... He he pointed out both of us, but he said to me, "I hope I get to see him play Falstaff sometime because he will be the greatest Falstaff I have ever seen." And that was like, you know, yeah, that, that was that was another pat on the back. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, sign. You're doing something right from that production. I mean, we didn't have huge audiences then, but we had enough to survive. We got through it. I was able, by the way, to pay back my mom the five thousand dollars, and I was able to pay back the lawyer the five thousand dollars. I was never able to pay back myself
0: the five thousand dollars I took from retirement. Did you take a salary?
1: I think I got. I think I got, got seventy five dollars a week,
0: and all the spaghetti you and, could eat,
1: and and red dye number yeah,
0: two. We used to call it red dye number two. Which Which was Kool-Aid, basically. Which is how they made the spaghetti bread. (laughs) It wasn't true, but the property actually had a chef on it. But yeah. Oh, my gosh. So four seasons of summer stock. Four seasons of summer stock and two seasons of
1: dinner theater. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, I did the last dinner theater. You did one of them, didn't you? I did the
0: first, the Jacques Brel dinner theater, yeah. Yeah.
1: Which was in the mansion.
0: Yeah, in October, which is pretty cool in Pennsylvania. Yeah,
1: it, it was a great time to be there. Yeah. So we ended up doing it, and uh, I ended up doing Love by Murray Shishkill mm-hmm. with Kuschka uh, Richard Faring, who's mm-hmm. no longer with us, and uh, Pam, who I ended up marrying. Pam mm-hmm. Franklin ended up marrying her there in Honesdale. And uh, who else was there? There were was Laura- Rick Lieber. Cleber. Rick Kleber was there. Who
0: went on to have a professional career? Yeah, big, cr- pretty
1: big career. Still yeah.
0: working. Character actor. Yeah. 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 Lauren was in uh, Mitchell, who ended up in the Sondheim piece. Was in the Jacques Brel, the first what we call it Winterstock. I can't remember what we called it.
1: Um, uh, I think we called it Dinner Theater because yeah. there was a deal where people oh, right. could have could eat at the Mansion Restaurant and then come up and see the
0: show right. on the third floor. Right. So, did, how, what was it like? Like four years of it? Did it? Well, <clears throat>
1: again, this gets back to producing. The guy that originally who owned the place was a German uh, who had been who who had been on Wall Street and stuff, and he bought the estate. Um, and he had his family, and they lived on the estate. Uh, he eventually sold. To a small-time mafia guy in Scranton, and that's when I mean things were going along. the The German guy was difficult to deal with um, because he everything came from business. Sal, of course, got along with him. I didn't so well. And they and the theater company changed, got mature, got better in certain yeah. ways. I oh, Lauren
0: did what two two, two. summers. Yeah, yeah. And you did, Craig all, Peralta, f- you did, did all, all four. Peralta, I did all four. Um, Again, I was a tribe person. You know, Gino came in. Yep, Gino Gaudio. Yeah,
1: who ended up on Broadway uh, as uh, one of the swings for uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Mm
0: -hmm. As Craig ended up playing it as well. Yeah. The young brother. Yep. Yeah, a lot of uh, professionals came and went through that company. So why did it stop? Well, again,
1: he sold. He was going bankrupt, so he ended up selling the estate to this mafia guy. We came back for the fourth year, and I mean, <laughs> uh, we were doing Fiddler on the Roof. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. I was playing Tevia, and I I was into it. I you know I thought it was a good company. And I thought it was one of our better productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the middle of one of the shows. We had set up cabaret tables, so we were doing the show. And in the middle of the show, and I was—I I, was—it uh, was this emotional plea where I was uh, talking to my daughters who were going away, and um, I, I don't remember the exact scene. But all of a sudden, in the middle of the show, there's this guy making snide remarks and caustic remarks about us on stage and that got to me and it was a pretty full house and i remember at the end of the show after the bows i ran out to confront this guy cuz i was really upset and sal came running around the side of the building and said this guy's carrying a weapon and he said and you and he's mafia and you don't want to mess with him and he had he had brought in some prostitutes so these prostitutes they weren't they didn't usually go to the theater, but because the guy who owned it I don't know if he was part of his gang or whatever and I, that night I just went, this is it for me. I'll finish out this year, and then that's it I'm done uh because because of that situation and it at first, I thought the mafia thing was a ruse but in that area of the East Coast and in Pennsylvania, there was a lot of small town mafioso kinds of setups based on who you were. And they were they were running. I don't know what they were running out, out of the house, but I, I know one night they were out in a car on the back part of the estate shooting. There was gunfire. And I knew th- this was it. This was the end of it. So that's it. like 78, 79. That's 78. Meanwhile, between the summers, mm-hmm. I'm I'm teaching. I'm I'm getting a teaching gig part-time at Orange Coast College. I'm teaching classes to keep So that was the first time you taught
0: as a college
1: teacher. Yes, and that was actually what I wanted. What I wanted was to get a community college job because when I thought they paid better than the state college certainly on the entry level at that point and i could work with adults I, I didn't have to work with minors anymore so i was doing that and i was asked to do king lear at orange coast college mm-hmm.
0: playing Lear now i to, haven't done any
1: i haven't done any shakespeare since i did that macbeth that truncated macbeth out of a class
0: in college to be clear you you weren't directing it you were no i was asked it, to lear. play it
1: who directed? A guy named Bill Perkis, mm-hmm. which who taught be, there? Yeah, he taught. He was full time, and so it was seventy-eight or it, it was somewhere in that time period in the off season. And you know, Bill was a good director and everything. I, he was he was adequate, but I, in trying to memorize the lines, and Kushka was in that. Kushka was in the show. Who was an actor in the Who Somerset was an actor Start in Company. the Sommersock Company? Were you
0: like thirty, thirty? I was, I was 30
1: or 31 at okay. this point. And all of us, I mean, I did it. I did the show. I memorized the lines and my mom came to see it. My dad had, my stepdad had passed. And I said to her, you know who this is, don't you? And she said, yeah, it's your father. And I had channeled all of that anger and rage. Into that character. Mm. And I just went, oh, my God. And I and I will tell you, after doing that role, I didn't need to act anymore. I felt I had cleansed myself and purged myself of this anger and angst that needed to have affirmation by being on stage. D- does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And... Well, I don't think I ever got the full thing in one performance. I got elements, I think, of all of that character in the week or two that we did it every night. And it it just fed me and it lighted the fire and all of the- For Shakespeare. For Shakespeare. All of the backing, all everything. Again, another pivotal moment here where I go, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And I want to start. And I looked around- between San, the Old Globe and San Diego and a couple of small, relatively small theaters in Los Angeles, there certainly was no Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And the Shakespeare that was being done at South Coast at that time was not very good. And I wanted to dedicate a summer theater to Shakespeare. And that became, that. I, I mean, and I went to the Orange Coast College because... at the Orange Fairgrounds, which was right across the street from Orange Coast College, there was a huge amphitheater. And I thought I could use that to do these shows. We could do them outdoors in the amphitheater. What I needed was a sponsor. And I went to the administration. I got a meeting and then Prop 13 had just passed. And the funding of the community colleges was going down. And so I decided that I wanted to do Shakespeare. And I wanted to start a Shakespeare theater. And based on what I had known, you know, I could teach part-time and, uh, at the community college <clears throat> and I could start this summer theater. Well, they told me, well, it's a good idea, but I don't think we can help you. And then out of nowhere comes this posting on a board for a job. And I it was 1978. And I I looked at it and it looked like let me back up just a bit. One of the things that Sal did was to help because we were we knew this wasn't going to last. Was to help me get my acting uh cards, my my union, cards. union cards, your cards. So he talked he talked the owner of the uh estate into me doing a voiceover of a video commercial for the estate in Philadelphia. And that I could do it and I would, you know, we could do it through an after contract. So I did an after contract voiceover for the estate and ended up and ended up there's a story there that I won't go into, but it ended up it wasn't a very good commercial, and I didn't do a very good job on the voiceover. But I ended up getting an after card, working after, got a SAG, bought into SAG and bought into equity. I had all of my union cards and it was my intent to go back to LA and and start working as an actor.
0: And then this, this, you said there was an article you responded to, or uh, was that for the gym? Yeah. What, what was it?
1: It looked to me like what they were looking for was somebody to, they were opening a theater.
0: In Orange County. In Orange County. And they wanted
1: somebody to train the community theater on how to operate it professionally. And it sounded to me like, a, like it was something I could do part-time and go into L.A. and pursue acting. I, I said, those are the two things that I'm interested in doing. And they said, great. Now, when you saw that when the theater was partially, they took me on a tour of the theater and, I could, and, it, and it was spectacular the the jam itself for an under 200 seat theater was the finest i had ever seen at that time right, it yeah. was when it yeah. opened it was gorgeous yeah. i mean it really was spectacular and i saw what they had in plan and i the community theater was kind of a ragtag group of people that didn't have any stability and was working out of a kind of cafeteria setup at a junior at a junior high school and so when I got on board, a season of plays had already been selected. Now, uh, come on. I think it's important to note that I knew that I was walking into, I was now in my early th- 30s. Most theater companies are founded by a group of people who start doing their work. They gather a following. They start getting people donating to them and following them. And so from the ground up, you're building a structure with a foundation of the artistic company and audience and supporters. That's foundational. This is starting from the top down Mm. and they end up creating a theater. Mm -hmm. And so South Coast Repertory is a great example. Mm -hmm. The theater, their fourth step theater, which is created in Costa Mesa, which is land donated to them by the Segerstrom Company was based on the reputation that they had established over 20-some years and based on the fact that they had a, a following and that they were, they needed to expand. They needed to go into a major theater, which changed their art, by the way, but I won't get into that, I think. Um, and they became foundational in Orange County. So what I was looking for was a primarily summer theater that I would make professional with the gym being as professional as I could make it knowing that at the time it wasn't large enough to support an equity company, which changes. Well, anyway, I get the job out of these 12 people. There was one person who I guess voted against me out of the 17 people that were interviewing me. And, um, Uh, her name was Gwen Weisner, and she owned property in the city. She was from Texas. She loved the city. She loved. She just didn't think I was the right fit. However, she became one of my biggest backers uh, th- throughout.
0: So, did you quit the show that you were in, the Catonsville? Yeah, moment?
1: I I quit the show. Now I end up ha- hiring Frank later on as a director, but um, I did quit the show. He said, "Oh, why don't 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 leave?" You know, and I said, Frank. I got to make some money, and I've got a a job here. And I'm uh, and at that point, I realized. At that point, I realized I wasn't an actor. I mean, when when push came to shove, I ended up putting on theater and creating theaters. You know, the small theater in Hermosa Beach with Sal, the the thing of the company in uh uh Bethany with Sal. So I get this on my own. And uh and I bring along Sal to to be to be uh to create a summer conservatory, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um and I I brought you and Melinda on to help do one of the shows. Now the shows had been selected by Sandra, started off with anything goes, and Beth Hansen was in that, mm-hmm. and Beth Beth came from Bethany. Um by way of Orange Coast College, start off with anything goes, and then and Saunders was going to direct it. I was going to direct *Arsenic and Old Lace*, which she had selected. The third show, I slipped in *Romeo and Juliet*, which was going to be the first Shakespeare play, and it ran for two weeks, I think, two or three weeks. I I slipped it in there, and then we did *Mame*, which you were involved with. Mm-hmm. So that was the fourth show. And then I think we did Pippin. Anyway, we just did show after show after show after show. Now, I've got five months to prepare for this. I've got to find uh, an audience for it. Um, fortunately, the city has got things like water bills inserts. And I was able to get the uh, city designers. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of people in City Hall at this time. Uh, everything hasn't been farmed out yet. They ha- they employ graphic artists, for example, and so a logo was formed, an identity was formed for the Gem Theater. I created this little Shakespeare play and called it the Grove Shakespeare Festival. So in the first year, we had all of these basically community theater shows, and I and she had contracted with some people. The last one, Once Upon a Mattress of that first season was directed by a a local well-known community theater director named Kent Johnson. She had contracted him, but I asked if I could play around with the schedule. So she had plays called Laura, some things that were old uh, community theater standards. And I, I, I put in sleuth. I put in one flew over the cuckoo's nest I put in hot El Baltimore and I changed out one of the mu- musicals to Pippin. This was all in the first year. The theater was being, was the paint was still drying and they were still working on it. The day we were opening, anything goes now this, this became a, for the city, this was a big deal. They had Klieg lights. They rented Klieg lights, you know, uh, out in front of the theater, the, uh, chief of police dressed up in a uh, thirties attire. And I don't know where he got him, but he and some of the police officers came in dressed in these wide pinstripe suits with fedoras and Tommy guns. <laughs> for anything goes for anything goes for the opening night. Mm-hmm. Now the stage, they had done so much for the audience the stage was a problem and that it was really small and they had created this, we called it a carbuncle, but it was this soffit that was over the stage that was made out of plaster and it was a design element, but it was so low that you couldn't get any really good lighting positions and there was dark spots on the stage. I'll tell you what happened to that later, but... <clears throat> but they put a lot of money into curtains so that one curtain opened. There was a grand drape, the grand drape opened, another thing opened. You had three curtains and all of, all of this, you know, it was very expensive stuff. And then there was a screen and it started off with this photo montage of the characters in a black and white film project production and so that was projected from the rear of the theater i mean it was it was quite an event she was my boss it burned her out i think she was supposed to direct something else and she couldn't do it and i hi- and i started hiring people we ended up with 1200 subscribers that first year which is a lot which is a lot the city the show came off so well the city was thrilled and they actually came to me and said What else can we do? We can't do the middle theater because we don't have enough money left because of the overbuild on the gym. I said, well, if you give me seating and lights on that outdoor stage, I can create my Shakespeare festival. They went back to the state and got another $400,000 and got seats and one lighting tower. There were supposed to be three of them. We jury rigged it. But this is all based on this one show, this opening. They were th- they were e- e- ec- ecstatic. The city council, everybody was proud. Everybody was happy, and so we get into we get into producing the other place. I do arsenic and old lace, and there's this um, the woman that I cast couldn't memorize her lines. And so I went to one of the volunteers who was also a community theater maven, and I got her in. I hired, I got Gary Bell from South Coast Repertory and Marnie Crosson, who was also at South Coast. Gary had worked equity by this time, but I don't know if he was still, if he was an active member of the company. Anyway, they both did the, the show. I think, I think I didn't pay them on that show, but they were quality actors, mm. I used to I use the analogy of the, you know, on the Ed Sullivan show where the guy would be spinning plates. Mm-hmm. and then you have to go back to the beginning and start spinning it again. Well, that's what it was like. The whole thing was like spinning plates.
0: A player King is produced by Roland By. Sound design, editing, and engineering by
1: William Georges, directed, curated, and narrated by Elisa Braddock. The music was originally created for productions at Shakespeare Orange County.